Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here, episode 220-220, Friday, December the 17th, 2021, and as always, I'm here with Mark, and it's getting closer to that holiday period, Mark, that Christmas time, and I think at, yeah, at the next podcast, or maybe the, we might squeeze another one in between, but we'll have our Christmas and New Year's special, which... We'll talk even more crap than we usually talk, <laughs> and we'll um, have a bit of a general discussion over um, an ale or two, and I'll stop that man from starting again. Yes, so there we go, Mark. How are you? I, I must have uh, I forgot to mention something in our little um, pre-recording um, meeting. Um, I got a love. I've been starting to get the Christmas cards um, as you do this time of year. I got a lovely, a lovely bottle of wine too today with a little Happy Father Christmas little carry bag for it too. But um, I also received a, a nice little, nice little card, um, and somebody um, pointed it out to me. They said, "Have, have you changed?" Jobs, are you a cosmetic surgeon now, um, because the, the card said on it. Um, um, thanks for looking after my two buns. They're looking fantastic now. Uh, so, and uh, I, I didn't twig what they were talking about for a moment. I said, you've done a bit of a, a butt lift for somebody um, or a boob job and um, they're looking fantastic now. But no, I, I was looking after their two bunny rabbits, of course. And um, gee, it's not, it, it is nice, isn't it? Such a small gesture that, um, gives so much, doesn't it? Um, a card or a, or a thank you um, for anything in life, doesn't it, Mark? And I think we've got to do it more often. I must get out there and say thanks to all the people that um, do good things for me um, and our family because, yeah, you really appreciate it, especially in these COVID-type times, don't we? It does make a difference and um, we all really... Um, you know, we have our times when we're just like struggling to get ready for that next consult or, um, and I think it's a good thing to hang on to a few of those, Brendan, to have a bit of a scrapbook that you pull out every once in a while. And, 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 um, I, I also say that, um, things are never quite as bad as they feel or never quite as good as you might think they are. They're always somewhere just a little bit in between, but it doesn't hurt to just, Remember that um, a lot of people really appreciate the stuff that you do and, and a card and a little scrapbook of cards reminding you of that is a good thing to do. Absolutely. And funny you should say that. I did a little bit of a clean out of a um, cupboard at work and threw out some old uh, – or gave and gave away some old uh, textbooks, Mark. You remember those things, books um, that people used On to paper. use at the young – Yes, that's right. And I found it, I, I did find a little postcard or a little card that was, was a postcard type card. They didn't post it to us um, of another client that had sent this lovely little note to me about their rats um, and their rat had died after we tried to 
keep it plugging away quite happily for for a while and um it was a lovely little note there so i did bring that actually funny you should say it i brought that home last night as well mark and i've put it on the bookshelf somewhere behind me i think um here so yes it's nice to have those little mementos that Sometime you do make a bit of a difference and give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back occasionally is not a bad thing, I don't think. Now, and Brendan, um, all our news. Well, while we, yeah. while we, I was yeah. going to say, while we're thinking of thank yous, we, we maybe we should thank our sponsors. Yes, yes, I was going to kick off with that as well. Um, <laughs> thanks, sponsors. Um, our three main <laughs> sponsors, Microchips Australia, and Chemical Essentials and Oxbow Australia, which is specialised animal nutrition. And we thank them very much for helping supporters. And we also have, have a few Patreons, um, patreon.com. Go to vetgurus.com, click on the links there and go to the page that says um, throw us a bone or help us. And you can give us a couple of dollars a month if you like or a dollar a month or more than that if you like um, and it just helps with our production costs or also go to our, school, our store at Vet Gurus on Etsy V-E-T-G-U-R-U-S and look at the fantastic merchandise there um, you probably miss out for Christmas if you order now but um, it'll be a nice little memento and, and something makes you feel good, you know, get something you, a little bit quirky, quirky from the Vet Guru's shop, Mark, and then um, feel good that you've helped contribute to um, keeping the podcast going. And the discussion, the podcast and the discussion. Yes, yes, yes. So there you go. There's our thank you to our sponsors and our little blurb. And if you want to send an email, and we do have an email that I think you were going to reply to from one of our serial emailers nick uh mark and um vetgurus at gmail.com the place to send your email to say hello or, or send a, a comment about a previous podcast which nick has done and send any questions you have which nick has also done and i think it's, you want to I read do, his I email do. or at least summarize it i love all our um email correspondence it's um it's like equivalent to a thank you, and it shows people listen. Yes. This, Nick's talked to us about. Um, we had an episode where we talked recently about uh, the tales of bearded dragons, and um, and Nick writes to us that he agrees with the thromboembolic disease theory. Um, he did want our thought on a couple of things, though. The first one was yellow mucous membranes. Now, this is an interesting one because. Um, we have, there are a number of species of bearded dragon here in Australia and what, what the, the most common one in captivity around the world is the inland or central Australian bearded dragon, Pagona viticeps. Um, and that particular lizard has a pale whitish grey mucous membrane in its mouth. Uh, but we do have um, the eastern bearded dragon, Pagona uh, barbata, um, which is a little bit bigger and occurs, uh, you know, um, along the east coast of Australia, and um, it has a bright yellow mouth. And so we definitely see uh, lizards that have yellow oral mucous membranes, but they are normal in the wild. Interestingly enough, I do occasionally see vitties, uh, as Nick points out here, um, that uh, have confirmed hepatic lipidosis that are... 
uh, viticeps, the inland one, which should have a pale mucous membrane, uh, pale whitish grey. Um, and that some of those lizards do have a pronounced uh, yellowish tinge. And I've always attributed that to not to um, uh, jaundice or because obviously the, the uh, um, bile pigment um, is biliverdin in reptiles, and so it's green. Um, I've always attributed it to circulating or deposited fats in the um, in the tissues of the mucous membrane. Um, uh, those fats often have a yellowish tinge, um, and uh, and certainly those it it I do associate some of those uh, hepatic lipidosis lizards uh, that are vides with it slight yellow mucous membrane. And the other thing that uh, really did spark my interest, and I'm interested in your opinion, uh, Nick suggested that um, uh, that he uh, has had a couple of cases where he's been suspicious uh, or even had uh, confirmation that there was gallbladder distension um, mm. in bearded dragons that had hepatic lipidosis. And I would say that that's it's sort of a bit, serendipitous because uh, I've I'm aware of a couple of cases lately where I think that is very likely to be the case the the uh, ultrasound images that I've been looking at at a couple of lizards a couple of bearded dragons that we were worried about hepatic disease definitely were well showed a cystic cranial abdominal mass um, and um, and I, I you know, it makes intuitive sense that um, any animal that has a um, liver and gallbladder um, is and has disease of the liver um, is likely to have a potential gallbladder disease. And I think it can, you know, definitely can be the case that they, just like uh, dogs and humans, have ascending um, infections and complications with the, the nature of bile uh, stored in the gallbladder, and so it's uh, uh, no big surprise that uh, Nick uh, sees some cases where this has been um, been suggested by CT. So, um, what do you think, Brendan? What, what, what do you? Um, uh, well, I think you've summarised it very well there, Mark. And Nick, as usual, is very astute um, with his cases. He's he's on the ball, isn't he, old Nick? Um, yes, it's fat. Um, my answer to that first bit is um, the yellow oral mucous membranes, like you say, is probably fat um, tight deposits there. And the yeah, the hepatic lipidosis with gallbladder disease. Well, it, it, it what you were saying, yeah, it, to me it makes sense. <laughs> yes, that's all I'm going to say with that. And um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Um, and there are a lot of fat beardies out there is probably the f last thing I'd say, and I think we've said that several times, or many times previously, haven't we? That's often, all I'm going to say. Often. <laughs> I love it when yes, you're punchy. often. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Nick. And yes, as Mark mentioned, we do love emails. They don't need to be of a technical nature. They can just be say hi or goodbye <laughs> i don't want to listen to your podcast anymore um we haven't got one of them yet have we which is good um probably because they've just left so i think we should jump into our main topic mark no we shouldn't um let's <laughs> we're already all over the shop tonight and i haven't even had a drink yet it's been a long day um i'm going to talk you, about talk uh, eels i'm going to talk about eels i love this story and we it's an ongoing topic of ours isn't it mark we have spoken about the 
the mystery of eels because we nobody really knows. They still don't know how eels do their bit. You know, where do they go to spawn? Um, and interestingly enough, this is about a an eel from Australia that they tracked for more than two thousand kilometres from an estuary here in west in Victoria, Western Victoria, Australia, to the Coral Sea off off northern Queensland. And it was a likely female eel who had the had the identification of one seven nine three five three, and um, they tracked tracked her mark um, for a, a very long time, three months, um, tracking her up a long journey on the east coast of Australia to try and find the mysterious location where eels go to spawn. And they had a forty gram satellite transmitter attached, attached to a dorsal fins or fin. And they um, tracked 16 eels in in total, and it was the first time worldwide that eel migration had been tracked from freshwater rivers to their spawn-in location. But unfortunately, they suddenly lost track of 179353, and... um, Eventually, a beachcomber on Lizard Island, Mark, off um, northwest of Brisbane, um, found the satellite tag with a broken antenna and they posted it back to the scientists and they accessed, they logged into it. They did a bit of um, forensics, Mark, and they recovered some of the memory and the information they had. And their conclusion was that Eel 179353 had probably been eaten by a whale or a shark. <laughs> so we still don't know how the eels spawned because of a bloody shark or a whale that got it just before. We might have found out, Mark. Um, and they um, interpreted that because all of a sudden on, on the data log, uh, the temperature shot up to 37 degrees and stayed there for a couple of days. So they think it was being digested inside a whale or a shark so i love this story um, it's not great for the eel but uh we still haven't found out mark um I, we've we've got to find out um hopefully before we i think that we need to keep podcasting and at least until, until um, the mystery of the journeys of eels is put to bed but they've, they've, they've what made do you think some, of that news story i think they've made some significant headway haven't they that um you know they are pretty confident that in those warm tropical waters around New Caledonia, there's there's yes. likely to be the location. It, they've never recorded the spawning, and they've ne- you know, um, I'm, I am fascinated by the the. They assume it's been a whale that's eaten, um, of all, and I didn't know shark, sharks. Mm. I would have thought had a colder body temperature. I would have thought dolphins would be the. The mm. uh, most likely culprit, but anyway, it's it's very interesting how they figure out who um who who or somebody <laughs> stranded on a desert island. <laughs> well, the the other thing a is human? that someone, well, someone, I'd be very suspicious of that person that sent the thing back. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe you pooped it out and then he um, posted it in, hey. <laughs> Yes, interesting story. I love that story, but gee, I thought I thought we, we were going to get the answer, and then um, pipped uh, at the post there, Mark. Yeah, next few years, I've got my fingers crossed. Yes. So my what do you uh, have? news story is a uh, well. Uh, I'm uh, once once again. I'm often ambivalent about these stories, and this one leaves me more ambivalent than most. Um, this is a report about the Kennel Club um, in 
uh, in um, England, the the kennel club, um, has changed the um, the breed standard for um, for French bulldogs. Um, this has come about as a result of the ongoing concern uh, about certain health problems that uh, French bulldogs have developed as a result of their huge increase in popularity, uh, in particular that maybe some of the exaggerations which are perceived as cute may actually not be normal or even desirable. Um, and so the French Bulldog Breed Standard has been reviewed to say that um, the well-defined muzzle should also be clearly viewed on in profile and the nostrils should be visibly open. Um, this has widely been lauded as a... a, a um, you know, as a, a pleasing um, move that the the breed standard is a moving target and we can uh, choose to um, make the health and welfare a priority rather than how people think. Um, there is, I was surprised to learn that there's a thing called the Brachycephalic Working Group. Um, I would have thought that it was called <laughs> The brachycephalic not working group, um, and they've long been calling. You'd, you'd for turn a, your nose up at it if oh they offered God. you that position, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> they've been long calling for an urgent review of the breed standard, and they're pleased that the kennel club is committed to this update, which stresses the importance of the length of the dog's muzzle, as well as the wider and more open nostrils. Um, we're hopeful that these changes are reflected in the show ring with the judges awarding dogs with more moderate features um, awards. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know, Brendan. Have they my, gone my, too far, Mark? <laughs> have they gone too far? <laughs> I, just, I just feel They've like... They've done stuff all, haven't they? <laughs> that's yeah. right. It's like... It's like what's the the uh, um, swapping deck chairs on the Titanic? It's just fiddling around at the edges and not changing the underlying problem. And someday you might be able to see their nostrils properly. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's a bit depressing that one, isn't it? Um, I suppose it's some movement, but oh, gee, not much. Yeah, millimeters. Not hey? much. Yes, not yes. Much well. On that downer, Mark, I think we should jump into our main topic. I don't think I have a segue for it, but this is we've we've chatted about this a little bit previously, but we thought we'd uh, refresh this topic because we do get comments and people asking us about it and how that and sort of not only how to become a nurse or a technician uh, dealing with exotics or unusual pets, but um, um, what to do and how to maintain your 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 um your age um, of of liking the animals and, and your job once you've become an exotics and nurse mark so becoming an exotics and nurse is the main topic this week so um you know let's crack into it mark why do you think it's a good thing to do become an exotics nurse well i think it's if you um, have somebody thinking about you know should i be an exotics nurse or should be i should i go into becoming a nurse for horses or cattle or sheep or goats well i think you've got to follow <laughs> your heart and i think that um 
the the interesting thing for me about talking to many students, particularly those students in the first few years of the degree, is that um, is that the widespread of un, unusual things that people keep as pets seems to be one of the big reasons that people get into the degree that um, you know that they have a a, a, an interest themselves in all those species, and and I think that sometimes that um, you know the system beats it out of them. That um, they go through the process of getting into a veterinary degree because they're interested in birds or guinea pigs or um, a whole suite of um, of uh, unusual pets, um, and then maybe during the degree. The down, that aspect of the profession is downplayed and so they leave it a little bit behind. Um, but I think they should, like you said, maintain the rage, maintain the passion uh, because it is um, fulfilling, it is interesting, it is challenging. Um, uh, it's definitely, you made a note um, in our show notes about it being mentally stimulating and that's one of the things, uh, whether you're a veterinarian or a uh, a technician or nurse who deals with exotics, um, it is constantly challenging and mentally stimulating. Um, so I think um, uh, if that's what you're passionate about when you start, stick at it because it is very gratifying once you get into it. Absolutely. And I think you're right in that it's rarely boring, is it? Um, dealing with all these different species, but that's part of the the challenge of it as well and yeah we'll we'll stick to talking about the nursing aspects and be, becoming an exotics nurse or, or technician rather than an exotics vet um and and i think it's exactly the same as what you mentioned with 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 the vet students as well in that often they're they've they've had a pet that might be a little bit different, um, a little bit unusual. That they, they, they have a, a spider as a pet, or they have a have a fish or axolotl, or or a mouse or a rat or a guinea pig or a ferret, etc., as a pet. And then they think, oh, I'm, I'm thinking of doing a science degree or or a nursing course. And wouldn't it be great to be able to tack on to that passion I have and and the variety and the challenge of dealing with them? And and I think. A fair number of the, um, the the nurses that I see when I'm teaching um, have have exactly that. When I when I ask them to put up their hands or have a chat to them um, about what they want to do once they finish their nursing um, degree or, or certificate, um, it's more often than not, you know, <laughs> or the extreme majority of them that if they want to do exotics nursing, then they've they've had the unusual pets um, um, previously at home, yeah, with them. Um, and then the second question that they asked me that how the hell do I get a job um, in exotics or in you know a lot of them initially say they want to work in the zoo you know which is the typical of a lot of vet, vet students as well um, they want to work in the zoo because they see that as the 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 goal and the pinnacle of of treating unusual animals and um, when you explain to them that hey you can also do the same in in, in private practice and you may even find that more rewarding than that that their eyes sort of pop open and they they suddenly see the light that hey it's not just trying to get into something like the zoo situation which is really limited as far as the number of 
positions are available um, for nurses. Um, so, um, and it and it can be limited with these exotics clinics as well, can't it, Mark? So, um, how do they? What's your advice to somebody if you have a, a veterinary nurse slash technician who is keen on working with exotics um, and finding an exotics only or, or mostly exotics clinic? Um, how do they manage to? obtain a position in that practice mode? Well, I think the key step that any support staff should take in this area is to show initiative. That's probably the thing that will make them stand out um, to a potential employer um, or even their current employer in such a way that um, that, the, that that work is, um, is, is, comes to them, that if they... Um, have uh, some experience if they are the person in the practice who is the go-to for questions about how do I nurse this bird, how do I identify this um, uh, uh, nestling, how do I, uh, what temperature do I set this reptile at, then that experience and initiative um, opens doors. That's my experience. Um, when we have uh, I've been looking for people to employ. It's those little bits of additional um, uh, uh, self-motivation and initiative that really draws our attention to a particular employee, um, and then that starts the process of getting the job and getting um, the the additional levels of experience and the larger number of cases. Hello, hello, hello. Sorry about that. I was going off on a little monologue there. Um, I'd pop myself on mute as usual while I was having a little drink. Um, uh, yes, I agree totally there, Mark. It, it's showing some initiative and and just it, 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 it's standing out from the crowd, isn't it? it? It's it's doing more than just the standard of sending your resume in, saying how excited you are and that you have had a rat and a mouse and a snake and a aardvark as a pet when you were growing up um, because that'll just get added to the pile of other people who have said exactly the same thing there. It, it, it's showing a keenness to help out. It's it's coming into the clinic and saying, look, you know, I'm so keen on working with exotics and that, that I'd, um, how about I shadow somebody, um, one of the other um, nursing staff, and and see what a typical day involves, and and if I can help out. And when they do that, um, and they then go that extra step, and you know, clean the uh, ferret poo that's been sprayed everywhere on the consult room table without being asked, then you know you've got somebody that you want to employ. So it's 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 being proactive with things, isn't it, Mark? With it, it's it's networking as well, I suppose. It, it's it's contacting the groups, um, you know, the, the volunteer groups. If you want to end up working in the zoos, the friends of the zoos, organisations, those sort of things. Um, getting known that, hey, um, my name is Mark and I want to be a, a veterinary technician dealing with exotics um, and constantly pestering the clinics um, around and, and not giving up um, as, as far as um, trying to get that position there. Um, yeah, are there any other sort of tips that you'd see with people, how they get that position, Mark, apart from what you said um, 
before I, I put like myself the, on mute. <laughs> I like the emphasis on networking. I think that, um, uh, you know, that um, attending conferences, um, and that makes me think of the um, the UPAV conference in um, in Darwin in July next year has a specific nurse stream. Um, those uh, networking opportunities where you meet up with like-minded people um, and uh, and there's also a, 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 a group of um, veterinarians there as well. That's sort of like the ideal circumstance. And you always come away from those conferences feeling pumped up, you know. So I think that aspect of maintaining your knowledge and maintaining your confidence through that networking process is, um, and particularly after coronavirus, uh, where we all have been a little bit isolated, I think um, I'd really encourage people to get two face-to-face conferences once they've got their two vaccine shots and their boosters yes. and they can get there. And it's and it's that persistence again. It, if you you know if you get knocked back and you thought it was a practice or a clinic that would uh, be perfect for you, then six months down the track. Um, Drop in again, yeah. Um, yeah. It's fluid with you know with with all industries and certainly within the veterinary industry as far as staff change overs and people leaving and taking time off and retiring and um, having families etc. So it's it's um, you know don't think that you need to keep in contact with the clinic um, as a job seeker. Don't don't wait for that clinic to reach out to you, thinking that oh you've given them your resume. You need to keep reminding them. Hey, I'm still here, um, and pester them <laughs> to a certain extent, um, and say, "How about you give me a job?" Um, so I think that's an important point. People tend to think, "Oh no, I shouldn't keep." You know, what, what what's the worst that can happen if 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 you you know contact the clinic um, every every few months or whatever? Um, they're going to ignore you. Um, that's about it, isn't it, Mark? Um, they, Most clinics they, won't they're ignore, gonna, but they they might say that they haven't got anything at that time but if yeah got- also, yeah then they're, they're not going to do a um, put a restraining order on you are they um they're um unless you're very persistent so <laughs> um so i think that's that's an important important thing so just keep plugging away keep plugging away and, and and you'll get there if you're keen enough and i think it's the same with many many niches within the with any any industry, not just the veterinary you, um you know if you're keen enough and motivated enough um most of the time, eventually, you will land that um, position or that that um, field that you want to want to work in. Uh, and once you have that position, Mark, what 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 are the sort of things that um, you know um, spring to mind about what 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 they need to do? Well, first of all, maybe. Just- yeah, go ahead. <laughs> First of all, just make sure that you maintain whatever you need to do to maintain your passion um, because uh, it is often the case that, um, you know, you, you look at a job and it looks wonderful, uh, uh, it looks idyllic from the uh, outside and then when you get it, it is hard work and so make sure you look after yourself, pace yourself, um, you know, uh, don't uh, don't necessarily feel that, you that all the work that you've put in to acquire that knowledge and experience before you start the job is the be all and end all um continue your your education continue to um uh 
set yourself uh, goals and uh, new species to become familiar with and details about existing species that you don't already know. Uh, but you don't have to do it all in one fell swoop, Brendan. You don't have to do it all in one day. Um, give yourself a chance to uh, get up to speed. Yes. And don't be afraid, and I'll just read into our little we did a little bullet list here, didn't we? Don't be afraid of having favourite species. Um, I'm not, and I, I put that note in there, and I, I think it's an important one. Don't you know? People feel like, like, yeah, we we need to be able to look at these thousands of species that we potentially see our, over our career and not have favourites. It's good to have favourites, I think. Mark, don't you? Um, don't don't think that if you um, prefer wombats over echidnas that um, you, you're doing a disservice to echidna because it's a whole part of enjoying what you like doing. And um, when that wombat comes in and you like wombats, great. And when that echidna comes in, appreciate them. Don't snub them, but appreciate um, that echidna as well. So, um, uh, yeah, um, I think it's a really important point because um, I don't think none of the support people that I've ever worked with have worked any less well on an animal because it wasn't the, one of their favourites. They all put in their effort, but just um, enjoying those species that you are that you do enjoy the most and and rejoicing in in their peculiarities and their recoveries, um, it does just make that job a little bit more special if you do have your favourites and you you, uh, you should allow yourself to enjoy them. So I agree with you entirely on that. And related to that, perhaps you should uh, go to our vet guru store, Mark, and, and purchase the real nurses treat more than 10 species um, hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just saw that little um, promotion there. Um, yeah, so, and look, you made a great point in that you know it's hard work, and and I think it's with any with any job, with any profession, with any any job at all um, that things aren't going to be rosy one hundred percent of the time. And we have this pie in the sky view when we're young, don't we? That um, we're going to land the dream job, and the dream job will be exactly that. And um, guess what? Life is tough at times and part of that coping with life being tough at times is to is to try and get a, a job that hopefully the rest of the time it, you enjoy but also um, don't be afraid of, of, of leaning on your your support staff um, and keeping um, track of your own mental health and, and don't be afraid to say hey I'm having a tough day here I've, I've had too many echidnas in and I don't like echidnas please help me <laughs> um, and and have your your um, veterinary nurse friends and the, and the vets and the um, office staff um, don't be afraid to put your hand up and say look it, it, it's been a bit of a tricky day today um and we know we all have those bad days and don't think that yeah just because it um brendan and mark, mark talk about how great it is to do exotics that we don't have bad days we certainly do have bad days we all have bad days and brendan and i think um, the um the one of the things that I, i've i know that people who work in other areas of the veterinary profession might disagree but um i reckon sometimes the 
clients we get to deal with um, are among, well, they're certainly amongst the most passionate and um, and sometimes um, that passion and zeal for their patient can slip over into very emotional circumstances and the support people who work with us are often the front line of dealing with that stuff and and I want them to know that you and I know that happens and they should definitely look for a practice that understands that and sets the scene for their mental well-being um, gives them you know uh, the the circumstances where when those things happen um, they they can seek the appropriate support um, and it's different for everyone I'm not saying that um, that everyone you know might need time off or might need um, any particular specific things but we all do need our um, support one way yes. or another or it might be leave me alone and that might be the appropriate one for that person um, and and that's good if that's what works for them and it helps them um, and maintains their sanity um, and I think the other the other thing we were going to talk about and you've already touched on it as well as far as keeping you keen and enjoying yourself as an exotics nurse or technician is keeping your skills up and realising that there are groups that do, do um, have conferences and, and, and um, also continuing education webinars um, increasingly um, these days with, with all the COVID um, situation um, and that they're out there um, and that you may not have realised that there are specific exotic groups, you know, and the, the obvious ones that you've already mentioned, one here in Australia, the Unusual Pet and Avian Veterinarians Group of the AVA. We have the international groups like the Association of Exotic Mammal Veterinarians, the Association of Reptilian and Amphibian Veterinarians, um, the Association of Avian Veterinarians, um, etc. So there's all these different groups um, and they don't necessarily have to be directly veterinary-related groups that you are um, joining or, or becoming involved in. It may be your local ferret rescue society or rabbit um, rescue um, place where you, you may also be involved with them, um, and that could be showing them how to properly look after rabbits and 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 um, doing a little information night for for clients um, showing how to uh, um, force feed a rabbit you know critical care um, etc and 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 it's amazing how rewarding some of those sort of um, volunteer type things you can do that helps helps the community generally and it keeps you in touch with the clients um, as well as providing a service. Brendan, the, probably the last point I was going to make um, as a sort of extension of that continuing education theme was um, that a lot of people don't realise that um, the veterinary information network, the uh, VIN that we often refer to, um, as an outstanding resource for veterinarians. They have a veterinary support personnel network, the VSPN, um, and even though it has definitely has a little bit of a, a North American focus, um, it is a huge um, resource for uh, nurses and technicians, um, and it does provide a sense of community and an online location where some continued education um, can occur. And, um, and it's... 
you know, the best part about it, um, one of the reasons I continually encourage the staff at Sugarloaf to get involved in it is um, because its f- membership is free. Yes, yes. It's excellent. Um, and it's something that I need to pluck to my nurses again because I don't think all of them have um, connected with VSPN, yeah, which is, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and, gee, the, the list of... Um, list of resources there is great um and discussion forums etc um so yeah it's a great one to do and it and it's yeah a few clicks away isn't it mark so vspn um just do a search for that and you'll find it otherwise go to vin.com vin.com and i think you'll find it from there Uh, great point mark so any final Remarks, Mark, or that was your final remark regarding um, being an exotic nurse or technician? I think um, the only thing I would add would be that um, I always look at these things, obviously, from the point of view of the veterinarian. That's the experience I've had. Um, And I just put it out there that um, I hope all the veterinary support people, the nurses and technicians that I've worked with over the years can be tolerant of... um, of me, and uh, I know there's been times when it's been hard to work with um, with the vet. The vet can be the biggest hurdle sometimes, but we're trying to do our best, and uh, as a team, we get there in the end. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a snide comment there but um, about um, coping with Mark. Uh, but I won't, Mark. I think Mr. Outro is here, and we'll talk to you all next week, perhaps with our Christmas special. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.